First of all, I want to welcome everybody here. Glad you're here with us this morning. want to welcome everybody watching on TV, you guys out in the foyer, and you guys out in the portable. Again, can we just give another round of applause to Jesus Christ? This is awesome. Today is the day. Today is the greatest celebration I believe anyone could ever celebrate. Today is a resurrection of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Today is the day, really, that's a foundation of our faith, our belief. Think about it for just a minute. Christianity is different because we worship a God who is alive. Today is a day that separates us from any religion. Our faith, our belief hinges on the fact that the tomb is empty. Because if the tomb was not empty, then really our faith would be of no use. Our belief would be of nothing. We would have hope in nothing. As a matter of fact, Paul says it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. He talks about that. This is what he says, verse 16. He says, for if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith, my faith is futile. And the worst part of all, we are still in our sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep, those who have died in Christ, have also perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. See, church, we celebrate today because that's in whom we trust. That's what we believe, our faith. What do you believe in? Where is your faith? You know, I remember looking back, all my life I knew about God. I was raised Catholic. I went to Catholic school literally till I was in high school. I knew the stories, but I didn't know what it meant to have a relationship with God. The only relationship one can have that only comes through Jesus Christ. I didn't understand that fully. Looking back, I know now I didn't know really what faith and believing was all about. And then one morning, I walked into Starbucks, and I see a man reading God's Word, the Bible. I knew the Bible as far as I knew what it was. I'd never once read it. But as I look back, I know that God was working in my heart even way before I walked onto the Starbucks and gave my life to Jesus Christ. As I look back, I can see incidents. I can see people talking to me. I remember clearly my sister-in-law, my brother-in-law, they were believers. They would tell me, man, just read your Bible. Nah. The Bible's written by guys. No. And I had in my head all the understanding of the Bible without once reading the Bible. I had my own deal with God. And I would tell everybody, I, I know what it is to be in a relationship with God. Not truly knowing. I remember... As well, God putting circumstances in my life, struggles, that as I look back now, I realize you, God, were working in my life. It was a process that got me to the point in Starbucks where I received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I remember having this void in my heart for years. And no matter what I did, no matter how successful I got, no matter how much I worked out, no, ma no matter how much I partied, the void was still there until the day I gave my life to Christ. And I felt this pressure come off of my shoulders. 
now I knew what it meant to have hope, satisfaction, identity. Again, where is your belief? Now, with a crowd this size, I know some of you, I know a lot of you are believers. I know a lot of you truly know what it means to put your trust in the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. If that's you, what are you doing with the grace that God has given you? What are you doing with the faith that God has given you? Now that your sins are forgiven, do you think you have a free ticket and now you're just waiting for eternity? Or are you doing something here? Are you loving others the way Christ has commanded us to do? Love one another. Are you proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ? And I know a lot of us, a lot of us here are in a process. And for some of you, your process is way in the beginning. And if that's you, I want to say it's okay. All of us were at one point in the process. And to be honest, we're still in the process. Maybe you're sitting here because someone invited you to come. Maybe you're sitting here because really you're just checking out all this Jesus thing that's going on. And, and this might be new to you. Maybe you walk into this building and there's a loud music, people yelling, hands up in the air, and you're like, okay, what did I get myself into? I understand because I've been there, done that. But if you're in this process, let me ask you one thing. Now open your hearts, open your mind, and, and listen to what I'm about to ask you. What is keeping you? What is keeping you truly from accepting the Holy Spirit to move within you. Now, I know some of you don't know that answer. I didn't know that answer. But again, open your minds. Open your hearts. Could it be that you're waiting for God to meet some condition in your life? Could it be that you say, okay, I will believe all this quote-unquote hoopla when God does and you fill in the blank? Because you have doubts. And I understand that. And again, it's okay. As a matter of fact, we're going to read about a story of a man who lived with Jesus for three years and he had doubts. So you have your Bibles with you. Please open them up to John chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to grab one underneath the chair. We are going to have the verses on the screen behind me. Again, it's John chapter 20. We're going to begin in verse 19. And this is what John has to say in verse 19. He says this, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week, on the evening of that day, the first day of the week. Do you know what day he is talking about? He is talking about Sunday. We're about to read what happened that evening when Jesus walked out of the tomb over 2,000 years ago. Now, I want to make a quick note here. These men that we're about to read about were Jewish men who have turned or, or, or changed into Christianity. And they celebrated their Sabbath on a Saturday. That was Jewish tradition. From, from this day forward... We, believers, Christians, celebrate on a Sunday. And it began right here. Why? Because this was the day that Jesus rose from the dead. 
Resurrection Sunday. And it has been like that ever since. You can read about it in Acts 20 and really all through the New Testament. And that's why we're here today. Because today is Sunday. And all, most Christians around the world gather on Sunday. It says on the evening of that day, let me just rewind a little bit and talk about what happened that morning of that day. So we read in the Gospel of John that Mary and some ladies go to the tomb. And Mary gets there, Mary Magdalene, and notices the tomb is empty. So she's freaking out, what did they do with the body? So she runs back to tell the apostles that she bumps into, I don't know literally, but she bumps into John and Peter. And she tells them, Jesus is missing. What? So John and Peter take off running to the tomb. I don't know why John mentions this. I, I'm sure he's very competitive. But he tells us that he gets there first. Leaves Peter way behind. He gets to the tomb, but he doesn't go in. He stops. He sees the empty tomb. And he just pauses there. Peter eventually catches up. But Peter being Peter, atrabancado, he goes into the tomb. And he notices something different. He notices this. He notices that the cloth in which Jesus' body was wrapped in was there. But he also notices that the head covering was there. But this was fully, nicely folded in. So Peter runs out. And John looks at the same thing Peter looks at. And he notices the tradition that Jewish people had back then. Anytime someone would get up from their table, they would leave their napkin fully, neatly folded which meant they were coming back. And at the same way, I believe, Jesus left it fully, nicely folded, telling us, I'm coming back. So at that time, John says, at that moment, he believed. And he runs back out. And Mary now runs back to the tomb. And he, she looks in there, and she sees two angels. And Mary goes, please, guys. Where have you taken the body? Will you return them to us? Please, I'll go get them. And then Mary hears a voice. And it's Jesus Christ. Mary turns around and she's weeping, wanting to hug Jesus. And Jesus says, whoa, chill. Don't, don't, don't hug me yet. I'm not ascended to the Father yet. Hold up. And then Mary says, what do I do? And Jesus says, go Go and tell the others. And so Mary does that. She runs back to the apostles and says, I have seen the Lord. He is risen. Busy morning. So let's go back. Verse 19. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. Several observations I want us to make note of. Remember, John, he's seen the empty tomb. He says, I believe. Mary has told the apostles, I saw the Lord. But yet, the door was locked. See, the apostles kind of believed one of them believed, literally said, I believe, but yet they were still scared. They were so scared that the door was locked. As a matter of fact, in Greek, it means that it was securely closed. Probably had like a chair underneath the doorknob. No one get in. They were scared that they were going to get taken out of that room, most likely the upper room, persecuted and crucified. So they were really scared. 
The other observation I want us to make. Notice the way Jesus makes an entrance. It doesn't say here that Jesus went, guys, it's okay, it's me. He didn't have some secret knock, scratch, knock, knock. No, no, no. It says that he appeared before them. Why, why do I mention this? It just gives us, it gives us a, maybe a, a way that we are going to be in our resurrected bodies. It gives us a preview that we're not going to be held to dimensions of, these, of this world. As Jesus just walked through the walls, the secure door. As a matter of fact, we read in the Gospel of Luke, the same account, that Jesus, when he walks through the door, he says, I'm hungry. It was a rough day. So in the same manner, I believe we're going to be hungry for eternity, which is a good thing. Carne asadas, don't stop here, guys. We should celebrate that. That's good. But notice, notice as Jesus appears before them, the first word Jesus says is, peace be with you. I love that. And there was a tradition to greet each other back then like this. They would greet each other saying, shalom, which meant peace be with you. But Jesus wasn't just greeting them normally. This time the peace be with you was more significant. It had a fuller, deeper meaning. Why? Because now they had the peace from God. As we are going about to read, he's going to show them his hands. And this is why you can have peace. I just took the wrath of God that you deserve, that all of us here deserve. And now, now you have peace. A peace that surpasses all understanding. So he says, peace be with you. John goes on and says this in verse 20. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. And then the disciples they were glad. They rejoiced. They were super happy when they saw the Lord. So Jesus shows them his hands, shows them his side. And notice how they went from fear to rejoicing. Church, when you encountered the living Christ, you rejoice. John continues in verse 21. And Jesus said to them a second time, peace be with you. And then he goes and says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you withhold forgiveness from any, it is withheld. There's a lot in these three verses. A lot. It will take us a whole sermon and a half to just cover what Jesus was talking about. So let me just summarize it. Jesus, we are told, breathes the same breath that God in creation in Genesis 2-7 breathed life into man, into Adam. In the same manner, Jesus breathed into the apostles. And it says that they received the Holy Spirit. Why did Jesus do this? What was he doing? He was commissioning them. See, 50 days later, we read in Acts 1 and 2 that Pentecost came and they received the power, the Holy Spirit. And Jesus was giving them a commission to go out and share the gospel. The gospel that has forgiveness of sins. So that's why he did what he did. We continue in verse 24. It says, now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. Notice something. John writes, now Thomas. 
other translations say, but Thomas. John is saying, my buddy Thomas. You all know, you know, the compadre Thomas. We've all heard about Thomas. Well, Thomas. Who was Thomas? I, I think a lot of us have this mindset because we've, we've named him Doubting Thomas. That Thomas was just some guy that was like, ooh, kind of goofy, right? I don't know. That's the impression I get. But what does scripture tell us about Thomas, who he was? Now, we know he's a twin. We just read that. Somewhere also in the Gospels, he is mentioned as Didymus, which literally means twin. We know he was an apostle chosen by Jesus himself like all the other apostles. He prayed and then he chose the apostles one by one. But something I believe that a lot of us don't know or realize about Thomas is that Thomas was a courageous, loyal follower of Christ. We look at Peter and say, yeah, that was him. But Thomas, no, we don't have that impression. Why do I say that I believe that he was loyal, that he was courageous? Because we also read in the gospel that Jesus says to his apostles, we're going to Judea. We're going back there. And the apostles say, whoa, time out, Jesus. Do you remember last time you were there? You mentioned this I am thing, that you, before Abraham, I am, and everybody freaked out and started grabbing stones and wanting to kill us. Do you remember we almost died there, Jesus? But Thomas, no, he stands up and says, if we all die, we all die with you, Jesus. Let's go. Pretty courageous, I believe. We also read a story that I think we're very familiar with. It's the Last Supper. And Jesus tells them, I am going to leave you. I'm going to my father's house and there's plenty of rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you. But I'll be back. And you know the way where I'm going. And I believe at this point all the other apostles are thinking to themselves, uh, no we don't. What are you talking about? Rooms? We don't know the way. But Thomas, again being courageous. Stood up and says, yo, Jesus, we don't know the way. Can you tell us the way? And at that point, I think all the apostles were like, whew, it's a good thing you asked, Thomas, because I wouldn't look like a fool asking that question. But you know what, church? I'm also very glad that Thomas asked that question. Because look at the way Jesus answers in John 14, 6, the truth. Jesus says this, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. He drops the mic and he walks out. This is the truth, church. There is no other way that we can come in relationship with God unless it's through Jesus Christ. We can't work for our salvation. We can't merit our salvation. We can never be good enough. This is the only way to eternity. Through Jesus Christ. Man, Thomas, thank you for asking. Again, verse 24 says this. Now Thomas, one of the twelve called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. I mention this because, again, I believe this is so important. Notice, we're told that the other apostles are in that upper room. They're scared. They're frightened. I am sure they're very sad. They're going through a season in their life where there's confusion. But Thomas wasn't there. I am sure he was confused as well, sad, 
maybe a little frightened, but he was not in community. I mentioned this, church, because we're called to be in community. We're called together. We're called to encourage one another. You can't encourage one another by yourself because there is no one another. As a matter of fact, the author of Hebrews says the same thing. I am not making this up. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. You can't love another if you're by yourself. Not neglecting to meet together on Sunday like they started to meet the very first Resurrection Sunday. As is the habit of some. But encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Church, let's not neglect getting together. This is beautiful. It is different. We are called to share each other's burdens. To worship together. Now I get it. Past two years have been totally different. But let's do this more often. See, I believe there's a big difference seeing Jesus in community. And Thomas, on that Sunday, missed seeing Jesus in community. We go on in verse 25 and he says this. So the other disciples told him, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. We saw him with our own eyes. He came in and said, peace be with you. We saw his scars. But you missed it, man. You weren't in community. You weren't with us. You should have been with us. You missed the resurrected Christ. And Thomas responds like this. Unless, unless I see his hands, the mark, the nails, and I literally place my fingers in those mark. And I reach out my hand and I place my hand on his side. Look what he says. I will never, never believe. Unless he meets these conditions, three conditions to be exact. Unless his hands are marked up and I literally touch his marks. And I can reach my hand and touch his scar on his side. Unless that happens, Thomas says, nah. I am never, ever going to believe. A week goes by. Verse 26. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again. But this time, Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said a third time, peace be with you. Thomas was now with them. Now imagine for those eight days, the apostles didn't give up telling Thomas the truth. Thomas, believe us, dude. We saw the Lord. Trust me. He's risen. Mm -mm. Nope, nope, nope. They didn't give up on Thomas. I am sure. And now, and now Jesus appears with Thomas being in the room. And I'm sure all the other apostles were like, told you. And Thomas looks straight at, I mean, Jesus looks straight at Thomas and says this, verse 27. Thomas, go ahead, put your finger here. Look at my hands. And put out your hand. And go ahead, place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, Thomas, but believe. Thomas, I heard you. I am God. I heard you wanted these three 
things to be done in you so you would believe. So go ahead. Believe. And I love Thomas' response. Verse 28. My Lord and my God. I am more than sure at that point Thomas dropped to his knees. And notice, we're not told that he did do what he said he had to do in order to believe. He probably dropped to his knees and said, my Lord and my God. This is the first time in scripture where we see the true deity of Christ being fully man, fully God. Jesus. And Thomas recognizes for the first time that he is Lord and God. What a beautiful proclamation. And then Jesus responds to him in verse 29. Have you believed because you have seen me? He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas, you are correct. He didn't deny him. He didn't say, no, 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 don't worship me. I'm not God. No, no. He, Jesus, knows who he is. But he asks, you believe because you've seen it. But blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. You know who he's talking about here? Us. Paul mentions, I mean, Peter mentions the same thing in 1 Peter 1.8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, now you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory. When you encounter the living Christ, you rejoice. He doesn't have to meet your conditions, but he will. John concludes this portion. In verse 30, and he says this, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written, and here's the purpose of why John wrote this book. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Jesus, I mean, John wrote this book so we, everyone, could believe in Jesus Christ. So everyone who trusts in the sacrifice and is his and his resurrection could have eternal life. Question. Where's your faith? Do you believe? I'm not talking about an intellectual belief. I'm talking about a heart belief. A transformation belief. Now, like I mentioned in the beginning, I know some of us, a lot of us have trusted Jesus Christ and we believe. What are you doing? Again, I'm going to ask you, what are you doing with this belief, with this faith? Are you planting seeds the way the apostles were trying to plant seed in Thomas for eight days, a whole week? Thomas, believe me, we saw. Or have you given up? Someone in your life that you've been trying to bring to Christ he's, nah, forget it. It is not up to us. It's the Holy Spirit. We don't do a thing. Just plant the seeds and pray that God opens their hearts. If you trusted Jesus Christ, are you being like a Thomas and on your own? Or are you gathering together in community? The way we're called to share each other's burdens, to worship God in community more importantly now listen if you haven't trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior again I, I think you don't know why 
again, just open your hearts. Pray. And it doesn't have to be all this elaborate prayer. Just say, God, what is it? How come I can't come to that point? And if there's conditions, if there's doubts, it's okay. But let me propose something to you guys. Those that are in that process or don't know or are confused or rejecting. What if God is using other people so you can open your hearts? There were other people in my life that I see now. My sister-in-law, my mom. Would you just open your hearts when they're saying, join a community group. Come to church. Let God move you. Maybe, like if it was my situation, maybe God has put a situation in your life, a circumstance, a troubled marriage, financial crisis, an illness. Maybe God is doing that so that you can say, all right, I'll give you a try, God. If that's you, church, trust me, I've been there, done that. Reach out your hand. Touch his scars. Let his scars of grace bring you to belief. It'll be amazing. Because we all need to realize at one point, no matter what process you are, that Jesus is God and our Lord. Let's be a church that proclaims that Jesus is my Lord and my God. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the sacrifice of your son Jesus. Thank you for your love, your grace. I know a lot of us, Father, have taken your grace for granted and are just cruising by, waiting for your return. Stir up in us the Holy Spirit. We are your body. We are alive. We're not called to be stagnant. We're called to move. Your son commissioned us to share the gospel, to share the good news of your son, Jesus Christ. Let us not take gathering together for granted. There's so many other countries where they would literally die to do what we're doing today. Father, and I pray that those that have not come to a belief that you present yourself mightily. That you open their hearts, open their eyes, and they can reach out to the scars that brings healing. And that is your son, Jesus Christ. And I pray all these things in your son's name. Amen. I love you, church. He is risen.